But maybe in that moment, the mask maker realized he didn't deserve forgiveness. So rather than rejecting the forgiveness in kind of the easy way of saying, oh, I can't do that. I'm a bad person. He just becomes the bad person. So he must be killed. He goes right back to it, right? I mean, he, he actually does up Rin's face the way he did his the mom's face where he kind of paints. Yeah, okay. So yeah, he's just he's just a bad... I and mean, I don't know then. Like, I just... Yeah, I don't know. Which is what I kind of like about this book because there's a lot of like, I don't know. You like action and adventure, right? Uh, yeah. And who doesn't? And mutant healing factors and blades where they shouldn't be. Tentatively, yes. And meditations on revenge. Mm, meditations on revenge. I I'm not sure I know what that means. And samurai body horror? No. No, not at all. Then I have no idea how you'll react to this week's quarantined comic book, Blade of the Immortal, by Hiroki Samura. Hmm. Hara ga kuroi. Hara no mushi ga osomaranai? Are you having a seizure? What does that mean? Well, Ryan, basically means that I now have evil thoughts. And the common Japanese expression, hara no mushi ga osomaranai, literally means I have an insect in my stomach that won't settle, which means this book left me unsettled, right? I mean, you've always had evil thoughts, Roman. You're a marketer, for God's sake. Anyway, Blade Blade of the Immortal is a manga that ran from 1992 to 2012. It's about an immortal swordsman named Manji helping a girl named Rin exact bloody revenge for the murder of her family by, well, murdering a lot of other people. Sounds logical, Ryan. But let me tell you something about the author, whose name I'm going to butcher, Hirokai Samura. Not much is known about him. In fact, there's no pictures, very limited interviews online about him. But he's known as a bit of a punk rocker in the manga scene because of his chosen contemporary take on a tale that he set in like the Bushido period for, for really interesting reasons, which I can't recall. Blade of the Immortal, like most manga, is an epic, lasting 30 volumes. Actually, I think it's 31 volumes. Rum and I and I read a grand total of six of them. So that's right, a whole fifth. Coincidentally, that's how bodies are often divided up as Manji, the title character, as the titular character Manji, hacks and slashes his way through feudal Japan. I'm Roman Segel. And I'm Ryan Joe. And we're two guys who once thought it'd be cool to join a sword school. But after reading this, maybe we should just chill. So Blade of the Immortal really resonated with me when I... I first read it, or at least part of it, in my early 20s, and reading it again today, it hits home, but in a different way. That being said, Raman, you and I exchanged some texts over the last week, and I get the sense that your feelings about Blade of the Immortal were much more mixed and conflicted. So my question is, was it? And you know, what was your reaction as you made your way through this bloody, disturbing cycle of nonstop revenge and human collateral? It was a journey. It was an emotional journey reading this. I think one of those texts was, upon reading the first volume, what is this? I feel like this is a Japanese Mountain Dew commercial. <laughs> and powered through it. 
the first we were originally only gonna read the first three volumes because that's all I could I could get in phone book. Hang on, in phone book variety. But you convinced me as I started to enjoy it and text you more that maybe we should read the next three volumes, which I read digitally. And I just kind of flew through them so much so that I went back last night and reread volume one, which I didn't fully get. It's like, uh, I don't know if it's the jarring kind of setting and styling that Samora does with this work that kind of evolves that I just wasn't sure what to make of it, you know, and all I tell someone is stick with it for at least the first two to three volumes. Manga reads really fast, but and I've been really trying to piece together where did that confusion and that jarring feeling come through, Ryan? And I think and I read this in some of like the author bios written in the latter volumes. He sets it in feudal Japan and everyone is speaking in feudal Japan like tones and diction. But the main character speaks like a 15 year old teenager talks like contemporary. <laughs> and at first I'm like, okay, this is stupid. But as I kind of read further, it was that's actually what made this thing such a hit and have such staying power in Japan. Maybe the relatability to teenagers who were reading it at the time. And later on it becomes interesting, but it's it's very kind of like punk rock. And once I started to realize and accept that and and start to understand what the fuck was happening. <laughs> Like, I really fucking love this book, man. I don't know if I'll go back and finish it, but what a ride. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm actually kind of glad to hear that because I was worried that you really kind of hated it. Because it oh, is... wait. Also, 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 bloodworms and infinite swords and a dude who has two dead ladies' heads on his shoulder. So. Yeah. So it's, it's, I, I think the freak show aspect of it really appealed to me when I first read it. Again, Manji is sort of like the, if if a fifteen year old boy would would kind of like think about his ideal self, Manji is that person, right? He's kind of irreverent. He doesn't bathe. It, we talked when we about fables. Big B is essentially Wolverine. Well, Manji is much more Wolverine. He's got the healing factor, the worm healing factor. He's got those hidden blades, and he's got are the they magical sort of or does he just carry like? Are they hidden blades or do you just like, does he, he just, magically have like a thousand? He just carries all of them in his sleeve, right? It's almost sort of like all, like an improbable amount of blades that he seems to carry comfortably <laughs> around him. Like, he, like, like there's the, one of the first scenes you see is like, he's being attacked and he just, he looks like he's just wearing a loose robe and he shakes his sleeves and all of and these freaking blades out, yeah. come out and he uses each and every one of those blades in one giant splash page to literally dissect his attacker. Like that's the thing that that Hiroki Samura really likes to do is these splash pages of these characters posing with their blades while a body is flying apart in these sort of like kaleidoscopic patterns. That's actually kind of beautiful, but also really both violent and improbable. There's it, it kind of like there's a sort of like artistry, right, to 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 the violence that characters like Manji are able to inflict on the human body. That frankly, Samira kind of revels in with his with his with his splash pages. Yeah, you know, as you were describing Manji, the the title character, and Ren, who's kind of his his co lead, uh, I, I kind of get ubermenchy vibes kind of like this mm. in the styling of warren ellis he's this dude who's so cool he's like the peak male alpha who's so good at everything and he's so irreverent and he's more irreverent than logan is like he's just but it it, it the dialogue 
the young man contemporary dialogue that Manji presents, I mean, it's it it's very jarring in the first volume, and it, it actually continues, but you get more used to it. it. I mean, it feels like Jim Lee or Rob Liefeld wrote it in the nineties. <laughs> That's where the Mountain Dew comment. Came yeah, from. no, no, no. I I hear you. I I totally kind of agree. But this I mean, is a. Yeah, and this is set in the same period, right? This this book was written, I, I don't know when it was published, actually. I'm guessing in the same era. Late 90s, so it was during the image era. Yeah. yeah. I don't. I, I have no idea whether Samura was, like, influenced by image comics I, at all. I think it was the other way. Like, I think it was the other way around. I think it was the other way around. That, uh, could, that, could, that could definitely be the case, because it does have that sort of over-the-top... Like, the characters aren't, like, exaggerated anatomically, like the way they are mm-hmm. in image or, like, Dragon Ball Z, but... Obviously, what these characters are able to do is is certainly exaggerated. Um, but you know that's the other jarring thing. Actually, this is worth saying. It and we usually don't talk about illustration at the end, but it is so beautifully drawn. Oh, the yes. later volumes more so than the first ones, as he kind of finds his his way. And that's again. I mean, these are just one. A lot of really great mangas have just beautiful stylized art that's hyper realistic without being to John Byrne or Jim Lee-esque. I mean, it's black and white, and there's really great inking and, and shades, and it's just beautiful. Just beautiful to flip through. I would say there's And also... then you've got the Mountain Dew dialogue. And then you've got the Mountain Dew dialogue. Well, there's a certain... So about the art, there's a certain... Remember we were talking about when we were talking about Akira? I really liked the, the fight scenes because they really, as they were happening, they kind of gave you a sense of the geography in which these fight scenes were happening. In Blade of the Immortals fight scenes, the art there is unique in a different way because he gives you a sense of each and every action that characters are taking. There is like a crystal clarity of what characters are doing as they fight. So when Magatsu, you know, you know, he he stabs Manji through the leg, and Manji's like, "Oh, you're you're sort of stuck in my leg. Now I'm gonna do this death blow." And then you see Manji twist half of the blade and yank out a hidden sword from his from the sword that's stuck in Manji's blade or when Maki you know she's her her weapon is sort of like above her and she flips and kicks it and manages to free her weapon retrieve her weapon that way um like that's i think really hard to illustrate but there's such precision in those movements like every fight feels like super choreographed versus like western comics where maybe except for frank quietly you know it's just like a couple of characters throwing some random punches in, in blade of the immortal you there there is a, a precision in the way these characters move in where their swords are going and what they're blocking and i think that's just like amazing the way Hiroki Samura just illustrates fight scenes, uh, and it's, it's 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 also like really really exhilarating because you just get a sense of the physicality of these guys as they're just trying as they're just breaking each other apart. Yeah, and another thing that kind of gets said in between is Manji, the main character, isn't the world's best fighter. He isn't right. No, uh, he has he has killed a hundred men, but he totally acknowledges like I can't die. But it's and and he has to put himself through lots of pain. Like Wolverine, every once in a while, like he gets obliterated, but he just kind of shakes it off. Manji, like, there's this one moment where I think he's like pinned up against a tree and he has to rip out his back or something. Oh, yeah. Like it's really just kind of raw and visceral what he's putting himself through 
And he's not necessarily getting any better. He just kind of, and it comes back to the irreverent nature. He just doesn't give a fuck. Like he's, and he'll put himself through it. And, and even I think that the deal he makes with the old lady who gives him the immortality effectively, it kind of makes a deal. I, I think I reread it the first part where like, if he kills a thousand bad guys to make up for the hundred probably innocent people he killed when he was kind of a corrupt samurai, then he gets his mortality and he gets to die. Yeah. But that journey to kill a thousand people uh, is going to be a painful one. So it's his penance. So he's like, fuck it, let's go. Um, it's crazy, man. It's crazy. So so my, my thinking of Manji shifted over, I guess, the 20 years since I read it. Because when I was in my 20s, Manji was a guy that you want to be, I guess, you know, when you're mm-hmm. early 20s, right? Or teens, even. Probably more appropriately, your teens. But... Reading it a second time, Manji is actually kind of the least interesting character. What he is, not when I was started thinking about it, is he's essentially like the video game avatar, like Kratos or or Master Chief or the Doom guy. Right. He's the guy yeah. who literally can't be killed because you know you get to continue over. He's the guy with insane physical abilities, but he's also the character who's like completely unconflicted, right? I mean, I know we say, oh, he wants penance, but we don't. I don't actually get the sense that he wants penance like you could chop off his head he says that you chop off my head i die and i you know it's not really clear what he stands for ever or what his sense like what what his moral code is in fact he's like probably the only character who really doesn't have a moral code he is sort mm-hmm. of like this blank slate in which you as the reader kind of put yourself in the way you inhabit him you yeah. inhabit him the same way you inhabit doom guy or master chief when you're playing halo um, but reading it a second time, it's really about like Rin, because she's the one who's really conflicted, and you see her kind of wavering in her quest for revenge, especially as you meet the villains who she's trying to kill, and you get their stories, and they become increasingly complicated in terms of their motivations. And in terms of their relationship to the murders that they've that they've committed, and that I think is what's really interesting is Rin's journey and her relationship to her revenge, and ultimately Manji is just sort of like the the vehicle through which her vengeance can be executed if she so chooses. He's just sort of like the strong arm, the blade. And that's it. And so that's what changed for me. And and Rin's journey, having, you know, only read a fifth of it, is what I find really interesting. And it's weird because when I first read it, Rin was just kind of this annoying tag-along. But she's kind of the heart of Blade of the Immortal in a way that I don't think I recognized when I first read it in my 20s. Yeah, I Rin. It, it really took me a while to get a harder read on her, and I think part of it was the difficulty in reading Volume One the first time around, yeah. where I couldn't tell what was a flashback or what was just an alternate scene, and it was hard to tell who the difference in the characters were. But by the time you really start to unpack the tragic journey, I'm glad. You know, I think it was Volume Four or Volume Five. The uh, the the mask, the mask painter, or the mask. Yeah, painter. the mask maker. You you get to dive not just a little bit into, again, retread what happened in her past, which which they do cover in volume one a little, but also in her quest from revenge for revenge, 
the true meditation is I can kill these people, but this guy has a son or some mm. of these people have families. And now I'm creating people just like me who are now going to want revenge on me. And the lies that she kind of has to live with of, and, and, and Manji goes along with it. And, and I think it was the end of volume four, beginning of volume five, when they do kill the mask maker and his son comes home, like, that was some of the really good shit. Like it just, it explains the motivations, what's wrong with the motivations and the consequences of the motivations really just in a really, really artful thought provoking way. Yeah. So kind of tracing Rin's journey, right? The first guy she kills is basically the guy who actually killed her dad, mm -hmm. Kiroi. And he, he's kind of a free, he's pretty much a freak show. Right, he's the guy who, he he basically his wife and Rin's mother he chopped off their heads, had them taxidermied, and they're like st stitched to his shoulders. And he's by the way dressed as a samurai, so he's like this perversion of these samurai ideals. He's actually very uh, chivalrous in a way. I mean, like the way he talks, his his love of poetry. There's and 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 all of this is sort of like masking this complete pervert for lack of a better word and so his killing is is kind of straightforward and then you know he killed and then and then there's the encounter with magatsu who's the next guy which is more i think kind of plot driven magatsu is is an interest does turn out to be an interesting character later on when you meet him again and then you meet the the immortal swordsman who's who's sort of like you know and he's this guy who's just kind of gone through life he's immortal like manji and he's kind of gone through life without having done anything or accomplished anything. And so you have this question of, you know, what is, you know, what is, what is the value of your life? What gives you value in your life? And, and, and I think that's what makes it more interesting yeah. than a video game, because I think, no, yeah, absolutely. This for me several months ago is it does kind of a very video game kind of vibe to it, the bosses that you're going through, but you really kind of flesh out and interrogate who these people are, why they are the way they are. They make their speech, but it's not a Bond villain speech. It really is a, well, I'm the way I am because of this and that. Not, ha ha ha, this is why I must do this and this is my plot. Um, and I don't want to say it makes you empathize with them. But you at least understand, like, the character in the world building that goes into the villains. And to the point mm. of Manji and Rin are kind of the vehicles through which you're living, right? But you're really getting to experience kind of all of the other characters as you kind of move through this world. Yeah, because each of them has very different motivations for for siding with the Ido Ryu, which is the sword school that was responsible for killing Rin's, massacring Rin's family. And, um, and, and, and the justification is they they want to do away with the the kind of proper samurai way. You know, it's like getting the job done is good enough. Well, is their philosophy. But they're but they're but even then they split, right? Because like Anatsu, right? He's I mean, in a way, he's holding the torch for his grandfather. His grandfather was kicked out of <laughs> this the sword school that Rin's father, you know, kind of oversaw. And he's been having he's had this vendetta ever since, and it's poisoned Anatsu. And now Anatsu has this kind of weird toxic agenda around like, hey, it doesn't matter, chivalry doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is is winning. And by the way, all of this is happening at a really weird time because over and over characters say, oh, there's no, there's no conflict. No one's, there's no wars that are being fought. And so you have all of these source schools that after all of these war, because there's no war, there's no reason for them to really exist. They're all kind of turning on each other in a way. And so 
and Anatsu is just kind of like this part of it. Like he has this philosophy of the only thing that matters is victory and in, in warfare. And yet he exists in a time in Japan when there is no warfare. And so he's kind of creating his own by forcing all of the sword schools to join his Ido Ryu. And, you know, it's not a peaceful annexation, let's just say. It's it's a very it's a very bloody one. But then you got Magatsu, right? And he's he's you know, I mean, his his sister was killed by 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 a lord, and that is his reason for for essentially joining the Ido Ryu. And later on, when you see Anatsu starting to be, try to put the pieces together to become the like of the official sword school of Japan, recognized by you know the the lords, that's when Magatsu is like, ah, uh, I'm I'm out. Like I'm not, I don't I don't work for those people. That's not my thing. They, I mean, they're the ones who killed his sister. And in a way, Magatsu has a lot in common with Manji because Manji's sister was maybe not killed by a lord, but his, his, you know, they they both kind, you know, were kind of like spurred to action by by the deaths of somebody of close to them. He has a lot in common with Rin as well. But and I'm glossing over Maki, who's an interesting character, also <laughs> completely. Okay, okay, you're you're saying all of these things, and this is where I felt like such an American reading this book, dude. I couldn't keep the names and the characters together, and it's such. A, I don't want to say it's a blind spot because I, I as you describe the person and everything about them, I remember it. Maybe it's just I'm bad with names, but I couldn't keep them all together in my head as I kind of moved through the story. And that actually makes it hard for me to have like true recollection of the journey. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's also by the time I got to volume four, five and six, I'm reading on a tablet and I was flying manga. You can just fly through, but like when you're swiping versus like turning the pages of a thick phone book volume, um, you don't linger in it as much. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so I, I, I think I just, that's I think that's fine yeah. though, because I I mean I probably remember the names because I this is, I've read it before. That that, that tends to make it's etched, easier, you, right? I think it's yeah. etched, Well, I think it, it left a bigger impression in, on you. It's clear. I remember. I I'm just gonna say I remember the way each character looks, and I remember what drives each character, and I think fundamentally that is the most important thing. Like the names, you can. I mean, I actually forgot the names. I the 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 monk who's in mm-hmm. in yeah. immortal. I actually kind of forgot his name. I forgot the the samurai's name with the the head stitched to his shoulders. I forgot the mask maker's name, but I remember very vividly the fact that there was a mask mask maker and, and that, his motivations, right? And, and his, his conflict and his conflict that he has a son. I remember very vividly that there was a female swordswoman who had her sword kind of like hidden in a loot, yeah, and 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 she was just absolutely lethal with it and, and was the one who came the closest to killing to killing manji and, and probably could have if she wanted to mm-hmm. so you i and i didn't think that's the that's that was what why this book resonated with me so much is how memorable each and every character was both visually both in terms of like their little action gimmick because they all had one and in terms mm-hmm. of what drove them as people and what made them do the things that they did well, and that, that's where this book is brilliant from a literature standpoint is uh, Samora pulls you in with the kind of Mountain Dew, badass guy you want to be video game stylings, but it kind of tricks someone who wouldn't want to read a real character study on all these mm. kind of conflicted torture stories. That's brilliant, right? You know, It draws um, you in, yeah. I, it, it absolutely does. And it's worth continuing it. Uh, 
You know, another thing, just to shift gears a little bit, something I found really interesting when I read it. So as most folks know, manga and most things in in the East are read right to left, whereas in the West mm. we read left to right. So manga, Japanese comics are printed right to left. And most even reproductions of manga, you do in, in the modern era, the last 10 years, even when they translate it to English, they force you to read it right to left from back to front. There's always like a friendly little thing in the front. But in the call it in-between period, as a lot of these works were being translated, effectively what artists were doing was they would, American publishers would do is they just completely flip it. So they'd literally mirror image all the pages so you could read right to left. And when Samora went to have his work published in English, he was very, 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 very insistent that they do what's called the cut and paste method, where they didn't mirror image everything, but they literally cut out every panel and rearranged it on the page. So the orientation of the panels was mirror image, but the image inside was not. And I'm guessing, Ryan, you know the real reason they did that. Uh, is it because like, when you take your art and look at it in a mirror, it looks really bad? No. it's uh, So one thing we didn't talk about is Manji has... Oh, uh, the swastika on his back. Right. On Manji's back, his symbol is the swastika, which we all know from Indiana Jones movies as, you know, the thing of some of the greatest evil this earth has ever known the nazis but you know i hopefully a lot of people know that hitler repurposed the swastika something from eastern cultures which stands for harmony and a bunch of other positive things and so maji the hero wears the swastika on him but it was appropriated and flipped it literally perversed and flipped around and although the swastika facing both ways has different meanings but they're both relatively positive things but anyway so samura when they kind of wanted to flip his book he's very insistent on cutting and pasting the panels which is like a really arduous process because this is pre-digital technology so anyway there's a swastika in the book there and, and there's in the front of the book of every volume there's an explanation of the swastika which which i thought was brilliant and i think you know could be very educational for people well, you're a dad, and so I, I definitely want to talk a little bit about one, this, the, the sequence I think that impacted you the most, which is Rin's encounter with the swordsman, who is also a father, who also at the same time did horrendous things to her mother, the mask maker. What was, just, when you read that portion, that <laughs> sequence, what did you, yeah, what were you, th- what were you thinking? One, I'm numb to this shit. You can't, you can't mess with me anymore, Ryan. I'm not trying to mess with uh, you. I'm trying to challenge you. <laughs> no, I don't know, man. It's fiction. Yeah, it's look. A murderer who did terrible things in his life went on to, I don't know if he sought penance, but move on with mm, his life. Yes. And and the and again, the way he articulated was, he had a kid, but the mom took the kid, but the mom died, so the kid was left with him. But he had already kind of found his peace, and so now it's my responsibility to raise this. Good for you, but that doesn't fucking absolve you no. of your sins. <laughs> like now, what's more, the 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 bigger challenge is this guy isn't absolved of his sins, but Rin, the the what's the word I'm looking for the uh, the the conflict that she has is if I kill this man, I'm creating another orphan. She doesn't want to kill him. Like she actually goes out of her way to try not to kill him. She says, "Well, she just wants a, she wants a genuine apology." I, and, and what he did was horrible, right? Like, like that's a, he that's laughs a, in her face. At that moment, I didn't care about him anymore. Oh yeah, so so that was that was an interesting because like when you first meet him, he actually is kind of negotiating this conflict between these two children. Yeah, 
And it's like, okay, he's, he kind of is good at kind of this conflict resolution, trying to figure out a way to handle this thing nonviolently. And then when Rin comes for an apology, all she wants is an apology for what he did to her mom and what he did to her mom was real nasty. He can't do it. He has to, he, he tries to kill Rin. And that was is always sort of something that I just remember being, even though I knew it was coming, just shocked by it because, you know, he says, hey, I've moved on. I'm trying to raise my son. And you're right. You know, his, 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 the fact that he moved on doesn't absolve what he did, but Rin is willing to at least forgive. You know, you know, what's interesting. So in that moment, and I don't know if this is what Samora was doing, but maybe in that moment, the mask maker realized he didn't deserve forgiveness. So rather than rejecting the forgiveness in kind of the easy way of saying, oh, I can't do that. I'm a bad person. He just becomes the bad person, so he must be killed. He goes right back to it, right? I mean, he he actually does up Rin's face the way he did his the mom's face, where he kind of paints. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, he's just he's just a bad. I mean, I don't know. Then like I just yeah, I don't know. Which is what I kind of like about this book because there's a lot of like I don't know, you know, I don't know, and even like when you see the flashback into what actually happened that night, that actually kind of creates a little bit more nuance between the characters because you see Magatsu, right? He's the one guy, he, he tries to kind of save the woman as best he can. He can't. And then you also see Kuroi, who's the guy with the two stuffed heads on his shoulder, the sicko. And he actually tries to comfort Rin. He tries to shelter her uh, by just blocking the view of what's happening. And so it creates this interesting dimensionality to characters who before had been a little bit... I don't want to say stock, but they hadn't been as as, as fully fle- as fully developed as they eventually as they eventually become. Mm-hmm. And then there's and then and then and then the one other thing is that at the very end you meet Shira, and that's also an interesting conflict with Rin because so that they meet these assassins who are trying to kill Anatsu, which is. It's precisely Rin's goal. It makes perfect sense that they would team up together. But they are, especially Shira, is he's pretty much a straight up psychopath. And you actually see that in the in the next next volume, how how just how real nasty he is. But to that point, there's sort of an admiration with Rin because she kind of keeps saying, I need to be stronger, I need to be stronger. I think after the encounter with the mask maker, when she tries to forgive him and he attacks her. She kind of has this thing as I need to be, I need to be strong. And that's when she meets Shira, who's a psychopath who also wants to kill Anatsu. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And for, for a while, he's the embodiment of the strength that she thinks she needs in order to take on Anatsu. And later on, she's going to realize how awful that, that, that character actually is. And so that's what I mean when you see like this con- constant journey with Rin and her relationship with the revenge and what it will cost her to get what she ultimately wants. How far along? You got to volume 12, you said? Today yeah, we got to volume 6. But I don't, you made it to 12? Yeah, I, I did. I don't remember. I remember certain aspects of it. But so like this read through is when I'm kind of seeing some of the morale, like like the how Rin is changing 
uh, as, as her quest for revenge continues. And so I, I remember some of the more freak show aspects as we mm-hmm. go on, but I don't remember like some of the more intricate character driven details, let's just say. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like, I do wonder if it really continues to kind of be this tapestry through all 30 volumes with this kind of like really subtle, subtle character development growth introduced kind of episode of the week style or if it drags i don't know i'm not sure yeah yeah because it's 30 volumes like does it really drag or does it hold up and this is like a great work yeah it could be it could be the latter but like with even some of the greatest tv shows with the exception of a few it's a lot of them dragging it way down in the middle and it's like does the formula get old yeah or is there genuine character development because you can kind of see what Rin's arc is going to be. Honestly, what you're not seeing much of anything, and again, because he's kind of the vehicle character, is there's there's no real development with Manji. No. Um, and maybe there's not supposed to be, because he's you. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if there is. And I, I kind of just feel like Manji, Manji of all the characters is sort of like the stock badass, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he just kind of goes, I mean, he sometimes kind of gives overtures towards having a philosophy around what he does, but ultimately it's mm-hmm. not very consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a guy with the awesome blades and the immortality, the, the, it should be called blades of the immortal blades of the, yeah, it should be blades of the immortal. Cause he's got so damn many of them, but yeah, it, you know, it's, it's weird. It's like, so you kind of start this book when I was, when I first read it, Manji was the most interesting character. He's the character that seemed the coolest. And now reading through it, he's actually kind of the least interesting character. He, he, he has the one thing, which is the gimmick of his immortality, but everyone else is just so much more complex and unusual and twisted compared to Manji. You know, it's interesting. I'm just kind of getting a little crazy with this. You mentioned Kratos earlier from God of War. Yeah. And I, I think, so this was produced into an anime. I don't know how many sequels, but like this would make a great video game for that. Um, Manji is a video game character. And, he is. You know, having played games like Ghost of Tsushima, y- you can see what if there was a true narrative arc with this story where Rin, or maybe you, you can play as Rin or as Manji, right? Like I can see... And this is a compliment to say this is like really good story video game. I I actually regret choosing Kratos. I'm thinking of the original God of War, but he does. There is actually like a clear arc of that character in the in the more recent the recent two God of War video games. Mm. And then actually, if you if if you think of like The Last of Us, which just became an HBO show, um, mm-hmm. that is a video game that's interesting because the levels are kind of built more around like the emotional connection between the main, the two main characters, the, the man and the, and the little girl and, Mm. and each in a way level is, is sort of like in a, I mean, you obviously progress in your journey, but it's also a progression in their relationship where they start to kind of love each other. Um, you know, in, in a, like as a, as a, and, and show each other their, their vulnerabilities. I don't know why I brought that up, but I mean, I guess maybe that's the thing with Blade of the Immortal. I don't know if Blade of the Immortal actually will become that, like if there will be that sort of depth of relationship between Rin and and Manji, or if the depth of the relationship is going to be between Rin and her her quest and her mm-hmm. constant questioning of 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 not only whether she should do it, but the method with which she's doing it. 
So what's interesting, just doing a little bit of online research. So this book, you know, it, it won some excellence prize in Japan in 97, and then it won the Eisner Award in 2000 for the best U.S. edition of foreign material. And as of 2017, it sold, it has 5 million copies in print. Not sure how many in the West, how many in the East. But what's interesting about that is that's a pretty high print run for a comic book, as I understand. I think X-Men issue one by Jim Lee. Well, the t- the first issue has like something like 10 or 20 million. So 5 million copies in print across, you know, 30 volumes. You know, you can cut the numbers down. But wh- where I'm going with it is it, it's not necessarily the most popular manga. Maybe it is. I don't know. But it's clearly had in- like that's the one thing I had noticed it with as, as with some of these other books we've read. I can see the fingerprints of this book on so many other things, be it a lot of the early, late Marvel, early image artists, a lot of this kind of like everyman badass character, you know, that started Wolverine, but came out in so many other people, like did Wolverine influence this, which influenced that, you know, but I think the influence of this book is probably much further and wider than most people realize. Yeah, I'd actually kind of be curious to know which Western comics were directly influenced by Blade of the Immortal, because... I, I I honestly don't I honestly don't know. It, it's always been sort of like a cult comic. It's never been like Akira, right? Everyone kind of knows Akira. I, I don't think Blade of the Immortal is sort of like has that level of of popularity. I mean, that might be just because it never really went beyond. I mean, there was a movie that was made actually, but that was kind of relatively. Actually, maybe it wasn't that recently. But I don't think it it it, it got picked it picked up that much. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can kind of see like connections between, you know, some of the the characters and the comics in in the West, but I can't say definitively. Mm-hmm. So Ryan, I, I mean, a bunch of like questions towards the end, but like, would you keep reading this? Like, would you want to finish this all the way to the end? Yeah, get actually, back to at least volume twelve. I, I probably will, just because I just want to. I just really want to see what happens. And it just, you know, the the journeys of these characters are actually really interesting. I actually thought, you know, kind of rereading it, I was actually kind of surprised at how much, how fast it read. Because, you know, when I first Mm -hmm. read it, I thought, oh, it takes a while before we actually meet Maki, for instance, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the female swordsman, the swordswoman. And she actually kind of appears pretty, pretty damn quickly. So I I actually think this book reads just incredibly fast. So I, I, I will probably... And actually, you know, he's, the panels are huge, right? It's like like three or four panels per page often. So, yeah, I probably will end up reading the, the entire thing. I, I, I think we just breezed through a fifth of it, so it's not going to take long to get the rest of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, how, how about you? Uh, are you, are, are you, would you, would you read it again? Are you, are you, would you, or, or are you, have you kind of like had your fill of blood well, you know, it's funny. So we didn't do a lot. Before we started recording, we were doing a little bit of comparison to Akira, which is kind of the most famous manga, right? A slash anime, or it's among them. And this one isn't. I had never heard of it till you brought it up. But, you know, my, my local library had the first omnibus. I was able to find the first six volumes on the, like, Hoopla library free lending app. So they're widely available. That's the first thing. I think... I think I would. Now, the problem is, like, there's so many things to read. But, like, with Akira, you know, we finished reading Volume 1 and 2 for our chat last week. And 
we talked about reading the rest and I got the next three, four, I got volume three, four, and five, and I read them, or I, I read three and four, and I just kind of got tired of it. And with this one, you know, we chose to go a little further and I couldn't put it down. And so I'm genuinely intrigued. Does this one have like the longevity, like the stickiness that honestly Akira didn't, you know, you and Bob were saying last week that, you know, Akira, the, the anime corrected some of the things that didn't work so well about kind of the sagging middle or what what the creator of Akira couldn't accomplish well in the manga as he was working stuff out. Um, so I think I would. I mean, I, I think I'm going to try to find a way to like get the other volumes to give it a read, but the other volumes are a little harder to get or, you know, or more expensive to get. But I would absolutely, here's what I'd say. Does it have like a stereotypical like manga? Oh, it's about samurai. Sure. But it's not typical samurai story i'm looking on my wall of vagabound which you had us read previously this one has like an interesting to that to i said earlier kind of punk rock take with deep character examinations of the side characters or of the bosses and i think that's worth exploring and having fun with so yeah i think i would and and, I'm, and i and to the next question would i recommend it to someone which i want to ask you like i think so if like if you only read one or two mangas i think this is one of them like Again, there's a lot of other great stuff that we've covered on this pod, but um, if you can get through volume one and the weirdness of it, like the rest of it does kind of pay off in the later seasons and the later volumes. What I mean, would you recommend this? To yeah, yeah. I mean, volume one, you know, I, I, it's, a lot is happening. There's a lot of like kind of exposition. It's essentially the episode where Peter Parker gets bitten by the radioactive spider, right? It's like, that's not the most interesting mm-hmm. thing that, that happens mm-hmm. to these characters. It's just the thing that gets them started. I absolutely would. Yeah, I think this is a really, it's it's a weird book that just, you know, it appealed to me in my early 20s, but it appeals to me now in my early 40s, but in a, for very different reasons. Uh, mm-hmm. But some of it, some of, some of it is the same, right? I mean, I, I do, I do kind of appreciate how odd and unusual the villains were. I appreciated that then and appreciated it now, but I absolutely would recommend reading Blade of the Immortal. It's, it's, it's just kind of, it's really exhilarating. It feels like you are, you know, when the, when you're in the fight scenes, it feels like you are actually there participating in it. And even in the quieter moments, he's so good, especially in like the later volumes that we read, building this, this tension and dealing with these sort of like dealing with the, the, the morality of what, of, 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 basically of revenge and, and just kind of, you know, leaning into, you know, how cyclical it is. So yeah, absolutely. But that also brings me to my next question, Raman, which is, what are we reading next week? Well, as some folks might remember, we're reading our way through the alphabet this year on Quarantine Comics. So I went back and forth on should we read Ed Brubaker's Criminal, which we will maybe next year on this pod. But what one of Ed Brubaker's first works, probably the first time I really read him, was his seminal run on Catwoman back in the early 2000s. But we're going to read two different runs of Catwoman. We're going to read kind of Ed Brubaker's take on Catwoman from the early 2000s. And we're also going to read Catwoman Lonely City by Cliff Chang, who is kind of a critically acclaimed author and creator known for things like Wonder Woman, Paper Girls, the good Asian. Honestly, it's a fun read. It's a fun alternate future read on Selena Kyle. Um, 
And and so I think we'll kind of read kind of a contemporary Catwoman story as well as kind of an Elseworlds Catwoman story that honestly was rated as one of the best books of 2022. So tune in next week. See us for Catwoman. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com. And since we're sure no one's listening, prove us otherwise. Shoot an email over to say what I got right and what Ryan got wrong. qtdcomics at gmail.com. Give you a social media handle, but we're old, and that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Jones.